You're listening to The Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to The Better Man Podcast. My name is Adam Tarno. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Today, my guest is John Schuler. John has been in ministry for over 50 years. He has given his life to church planning around the world, primarily with the Anglican Church. But get this, he is also a super user of the Better Man experience. He has some really fun stories to share, and I'm excited that you're going to get to hear some of those. Uh, John and I have a conversation about a simple yet profound question, and the question is this, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Why, why are we talking about that question? Because if you think about it, it's really kind of a hard question to answer. In fact, in John's 50 years of working with people, he says this is the question he comes back to time and again. And so here's what I know. I know his insights are going to encourage you. His energy is going to motivate you. And so enjoy my conversation with our friend John Schuler. Well, John, welcome to the Better Man Podcast. Glad to have you here today. Hey, Adam. Glad to be here. Okay, so here's what I think we need to do real quick, because I've been to Polly's Island before. Uh, this is a hidden gem over there on the East Coast right now. If anybody, hey, listens, don't tell everybody. I know. Don't tell everybody. Well, I know, but it's it's in between Myrtle <laughs> Beach and Charleston. Um, uh, you know, maybe maybe a third of the way there, or halfway there between the two. About a third. So, what? It, you've been there for how many years now? Twenty-seven years. Have they? After twenty-seven years, I know they've made you pick a side. Are you a Clemson Tiger or are you a South Carolina Gamecock? I have managed to remain um, an independent. I I tease them both. Um, but I, I don't I don't root for either one of them. I hope that doesn't disappoint you too much, Adam. Well, it, it doesn't. I mean, I'm a Clemson Tiger, and uh, just so long as you didn't pick the other team, then uh, then I'm okay with all well, that. What I did discover was that I thought Christianity was the dominant religion of South Carolina, but I discovered it's not. No, it is not. Yes, it doesn't take long to figure that out. Okay, well, here's what I want to talk to you about, because you have a message that you've been sharing for over 50 years, right? Like when you and I spoke on the phone as we were getting ready to record this, I just had asked you a really simple question. What What is your core message? What do you feel like is your ministry that you talk about on a regular basis? And I loved your answer. You said, what does it really mean to follow Jesus? That's where you find yourself having conversations on a regular basis with men. And then you and I were, were remarking on nowadays, you really have to spend more time describing what that doesn't mean. To, to really follow Jesus. And so what are some things there? What are you saying? What does it not mean when you say you're a follower of Jesus? Wow. It, it's a, it's a, it, it does not mean that I'm weird. <laughs> it, it, do, it does not mean that I'm not an ordinary man. Yeah. Um, it does not mean that I think I'm better than you. Um, it, it does not mean that um, the values of my little middle-class town where I grew up are synonymous with the kingdom of God. Hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that, that, um, that I'm, that, that just cause I go to church, I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, I mean, those would be some of the things that would start to come out if yeah. I was just talking to you in a coffee shop. Um, I, I would mostly be waiting to see what you think it means to be a um, a follower of Jesus. What I, what I've experienced over and over, Adam, is that the church word just sends conversations into a really negative spin. Yeah. But the Jesus word seems to bring questions. And so uh, as much as I um as I I love a lot of the language that I grew up with and that's biblical when you talk about well what do you think about Jesus it's a different conversation. Um almost for 50 years I've been trying to plant new churches all over the world. 
And I remember a very vivid moment in 1991. Um, I was walking in the streets of Canterbury, England, which is the world center of historic Anglicanism. And I was walking with two friends from way back that I had mentored and discipled when they were young college students. And I hadn't seen them for 17 years. And um, um, I was saying I was, I was in England for three months. And I said, I'm so discouraged by what I'm seeing happening to the church in England. And the conversation really spun into negative territory, pretty dark territory, with some real hostile things said about a church I love. And um, after, after walking for a couple of, 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 of minutes, I said, well, but what does the average Englishman think about Jesus? Hmm. And, and the, guy, the guy that was the most vociferous said, I don't think the ang- average Englishman knows anything about Jesus. Wow. <laughs> so that was 1991. And I, I think that was a turning point for me to recognize that, of course, I was overseas at the time, but that there was a shift, a profound shift that was going on in the world that I didn't understand. But that Jesus is still of interest uh, in a very different way than the word church or the word Christian. So that that sort of that sort of set me down that path. I've never lost my passion for Jesus, and so um, when I when I'm engaging someone that's really hostile or unbelieving or doubting, I try to get to that to Jesus as soon as I can and distinguish between being an ordinary American fat, um, prideful, go to a somewhere on Sunday and tip bad after church person. I'm just trying to learn how to follow Jesus. And that seems to change the conversation. Yeah. Are they skeptical at first when you talk to them about that to go, Hey, I I follow Jesus, but that doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means. Does it take a while? No, not, not in my experience. In my experience, Um, I get very, very few conversations with someone who's not actively involved in the life of a community of faith. I've I've learned to say that instead of church. Uh, If someone's not actively involved in a community of faith, I don't find them ever saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. I, I don't ever find that. I discover very quickly, if I ask the right questions, that they say prayers when they're in trouble. Yep. You know, when things are really bad or they're in trouble, they, they, they cry out to some kind of God. But if I ask very many questions about Jesus, they don't they have no knowledge of it. I mean, they just sort of know there's somebody named Jesus, but they don't know any of the stories. They don't know of his life. They don't know of his own claims. Um, they, they don't they have zero confidence that anything could be in a book called the Bible that they ought to be paying attention to. Yeah. I, I think in my experience that the gap, the chasm between elementary understanding of Christianity that exists in America today is staggering to me, especially among people that have gone on to higher education, often to elite schools, the, the attitudes and the understandings are astonishingly awful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry to put it that way, but for a kid like me, a 75-year-old kid like me that grew up with people that loved Jesus and thought that Jesus loved me because everybody I loved said he did, um, it's such a different world out there. And that really indirectly drove me to better man. 
quite honestly. I don't I don't mean to take us there immediately, but that's that's one of the main reasons that when Robert started talking about it, my ears perked up and my heart started leaning in to the conversation in a very different way than I anticipated the first time I ever met Robert. That's right. And because you and you have a really neat story with the ways that you have used the the better man experience to help you engage people who are either far from Jesus or curious about who Jesus is, or maybe they've been a part of a church, not a an active part of a faith community. Yeah. They've been a part of a church for a little while, but maybe they've never even taken the time to study. So share a couple stories there uh, about how you've used the, this curriculum and this, uh, this well, movement. Well, yeah. I, you know, Robert Lewis was a name to me, and I knew of him, and I heard about him, and I was aware of him. And then some years ago, many years ago now, I began to use an, a, a tool that he developed, a curriculum called Men's Fraternity. Yeah. Um, and I'd seen the power of that many years ago, but I'd not been using it for quite some time. And then when Robert told me that his passion, his heart in designing the Better Man curriculum was what was happening to men in America, that men, the huge number of men in America that were growing up without a father, um, and uh, the number of men in America that were growing up with very little understanding of, of what it meant to be a, a, a man, a good man. What, what does it mean to be a healthy, good man in a culture that's, that's increasingly attacking manhood in many ways? And, and I knew that from my own life and experience. So I was eager uh, to tap in to see what he was up to. Um, but even more so because of my strong passion to see new believers begin new communities. Um, new new churches planted around the world. And in North America, the work is like eating nails right now. I mean, it, all over the world, the work goes well for us. But in North America, it's been very, very difficult. And the main reason it's been difficult is so many men have had some church experience without really becoming a follower of Jesus. Hmm. And... Um, and so, you know, the word that I would use is converted. Um, different Christian traditions use different language, but the scriptures, I think, would validate me saying, you know, born again of the spirit. Yeah. Um, a, a guy with some church experience because he was dragged by the ear or grandma made him go or his wife thinks he should go doesn't become a follower of Jesus in that sort of setting. So when Robert told me what he was dreaming for Better Man, this was before it was really fully developed. It was kind of in a beta phase. I wanted in. I wanted in from the beginning. And, and, and he, he said, well, we're doing a test run um, in Conway, Arkansas. Do you want to go with me next Tuesday? So I said, sure. And he said, well, meet me at Panera at 5.15. I said, 5.15 a.m.? Yeah. And so I said, well, that's the earliest I've ever had an appointment in my whole ministry. <laughs> So we drove the 30 miles to Conway, Arkansas together, and um, I walked into a hyper center, five basketball carts with no, no supports. And there were like 617 men in there waiting for 6 a.m. to start. Wow. And I thought, I've never seen anything like this in my life. This is whatever's going on here. Uh, it's you, God. And I went in on it. Yeah. And that's sort of how I started. Uh, I couldn't believe that that many men were already there waiting for something to start at 6 a.m. And, and, and at that time in the beta thing, it was the third session. 
And at the end of that session, the presenter held up a black book and said, now, if you guys are going to learn to be better men, you're going to need wisdom. And if you want wisdom, you need to know what's in this book. And they said, this book is called the Bible. And the reason it's going to help you be a better man is the God who made you a man wrote this book. Now, right at that moment, I thought to myself, now, I wonder how many of these guys will bail. Mm -hmm. Now that they know, you know, that better man, there's a Christian component yeah, to better the man. What out. are they going to do next week? So, so I came back with Robert the next week, and uh, there were only 587 men waiting <laughs> for 6 a.m. So, I mean, I, I was almost over the line the week before, but I, I, was, I was in. I mean, what do I do? You know? So Robert gave me early advanced stuff on it, and I got um, access to some of the first of the streaming uh, material. And I got some drafts of how to put on a better man. And, and, um, and I just came home and I started talking to everybody I knew hmm. in it, wherever they were in the world. If they were a man in my life, I was telling them there's something that you need to find out about. Um, and the, the, the next thing I did was I started an international better man uh, virtually um, I, I don't know if I was the first guy to ever do a virtual better man, but I know I was the first guy to do an international better man. Yes. And I had guys in Africa and I had guys in South America and I had guys in Southeast Asia and I had a guy in Nepal and, um, I had a guy in England. Uh, and I was like, I don't know how this will work because it was very, the streamed thing. Tim Lundy's very American, <laughs> you know, um, and I was concerned, you know, how these brothers who had known me would respond to this. But what I was trying to do was say, I think this is a tool that you can use to reach men with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And every single man that went through it didn't matter what culture or where they were. They all ended up saying, oh, I wish I had had this curriculum when I was younger. Wow. And immediately, several of them began to multiply it. Um, one, the only one that was in on it that was an American is an African-American. Uh, young man that I, like a son to me, that I've discipled. And um, when, when the final session ended, the next week he started three groups. Wow. Um, he started one in the church that he's planting and he started two in two other cities in North America where there was a African-American community that he could immediately reach uh, a critical leader. One of them was Dallas. And um, so I just watched as the brothers started to, to take it. Um, and um, then, then COVID hit. And when COVID hit, just right before COVID hit, uh, I was asked to come out of, um, I'm really not retired, Adam, I but, know, I know. but I was asked, to, <laughs> I was asked to step in and help a little church that was in trouble. They, their, their pastor was in trouble and they, they asked, could I come for three weeks? <laughs> well, that was 57 weeks ago uh oh. and I've, I've been there ever since. Um, and, uh, so immediately I said to the men, you got to learn about better man and we got to do it here. We, we got to do it. So um, 
I was not doing it the way it's designed to reach guys that are separated or don't know much or outside the life of church. But I knew if I didn't get a core of men inside the church, it was not going to be very easy to man it and to do all the things that would have to be done. So 22 guys signed up and um, I took 22 guys through um, even during COVID. We met in the sanctuary and we streamed the the videos uh, up front we sat in distance and we you know masked in distance and stuff and then we formed up we circled up into three loose circles in three different parts of the of the of the building um to talk about what they'd seen and again it, it was exactly the same experience there was not a single man that didn't wish he'd heard all this sooner um and so out of that, I started a Better Man reunion, which we, we meet on the third Thursday of every month. And um, we go over we go over some part of it. And I keep sewing into that. Now, when are we going to throw this open to the whole world? Right. And, um, and now uh, that's happening. We, we have one of the men is starting with a son who's home from college just before his senior year. They're going to do a Better Man this summer with any man that's not married between 18 and 30 and that they're building it around college guys home from university or college. And um, they're allowing me to seed it with a couple of hot shots that are a little, a little beyond college, but are guys that they would really like and re- relate to. And we've, we've uh, committed to launch a, a, na- a community wide better man beginning in September to reach men under 40 okay, um, and to have God willing to two believers at each table, but the rest of the table be guys that are not sure or have no knowledge at all. So, so that that's been sort of my, my, um, my thing. <laughs> and, uh, and I love it. You can tell how passionate I am yeah. about all this. No, I, I, love I it. really want to see men discover that God loves them yeah. and that he made them and it, that he has a claim on their life and a call on their life. That's good. That, 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 that will not just be forever, although it is, but will be for now, you know, and I love the question, you know, would you like to be a better man? I haven't asked that question to any man that's ever said no. Hmm. Most, most men look at their shoes I mean, they stop looking at me when I ask the question. They kind of look down. Or, or if I get to it, would you like to be a better dad? That has exactly the same reaction. Absolutely. And then I, I generally try to put the third one in because I think it matters to God. Would you like to be a better husband? Mm. And um, I've never seen in my entire life three questions that have such an impact and they don't mention church. They don't mention God. They don't mention Jesus. They don't mention Christianity. Um, but they're all rooted in that for me. So, you know, yeah. And as you, as you mentioned, I mean, in all three of those areas of, of being a man, a dad and a husband are all rooted in the wisdom of God's word. And so, and so it's, it's a perfect segue. And so let's, let's now go, uh, let's fast forward. So you've met somebody, you've maybe asked them those three questions. They do want to get better. Uh, They want to be a better man, a better dad, a better husband. Now you're building a relationship with them. 
you've maybe debunked a few myths on what it means to not follow Jesus or what it doesn't mean to follow Jesus. And now you're getting to the core of your message of what does it mean to follow Jesus. So what are, what are two or three things, maybe maybe more, that you share with people to help them get a picture of what followership and discipleship of Jesus actually looks like? Well, Adam, let me back up just a second and say that because of the way that God has called me, the bulk of my life has been working with people that already profess to be Christians. Okay. I've been recruiting, trying to recruit leadership and plucking them out of local communities and local uh, assemblies and congregations, my whole ministry, really. Because to plant, to go somewhere and plant, you're not a starter. You're not a baby Christian generally. Yeah. If you're if you're going if you're going to go if you're going to go tomorrow to Russia and you've never been to Russia before, and you're going to be involved in church planting over there, you better know a lot about following Jesus. Yes. Um, so, um, but what over and over I encountered it took me way more years than I'm happy to confess was that fundamentally the American church was not preparing the leaders I needed. It just was not. And that um, the, the, the gap was the misunderstanding of what it means to be a disciple. Now, in, in my understanding, to be a follower of Jesus is to be a disciple. And that's the word he used. And so I like that word, but it's churchy. It to is. anyone anyone with a church background, disciple sets off all kinds of tracks in their minds that they don't, they're not necessarily talking about the same thing I am. But so, so I've been relentlessly um, trying to reboot, which we had to do today. I've been trying to reboot guys that have some testimony of faith. Um, they, they have some faith. They really have a faith. But they've never been well discipled, and they don't know how to disciple someone else. Um, I like to say, and have now for 30 years, that you're not a disciple until you're making a disciple. Hmm. You're not fully what you're meant to be. You know, Jesus said, make disciples. Well, if you're not helping someone else to be a disciple, you're not made. You haven't been fully made yet. So that was the consistent problem in America to do new work. I mean, you could start a new work and get all the angry people from another church, you know, or, you know, you, or, you know, if they were building new houses fast enough, you know, you could sort of get one started, but to get a community that wanted to really and truly follow Jesus was very tough. So that had driven me back on my haunches for, for a long time. And, and I had resolved in my mind to do something nobody ever taught me, which was let Jesus teach me what he means when he uses the word disciple. What does Jesus mean when he uses the word? Now, in the New Testament, the word's used hundreds of times, but it's always descriptive. Anybody that was hanging around him is called a disciple. They showed up in the crowd. They called him a disciple. But when did Jesus speak to the issue? And that that really was a surprise to me that no one had ever taught it to me, and I couldn't find it in any of the books that were supposedly about discipling. And so I grabbed my concordance and started, you know, burrowing in and discovered that there are only nine times that the New Testament records Jesus saying 
my disciples or plural, my disciples. And so I began to be obsessively a bear about those nine verses. Uh, what do they mean? If you, if you say you're a Jesus follower, if you say you're a Christian, what are these, how are these verses in your life? Yeah. So all I do, if a guy has got some testimony, is I start in the conversation over time as we get to know one another. You know, if you're going to be a serious follower of Jesus, you're going to have to obey what he says. Hmm. You know, and that's not the same as who you voted for, that's... you know, or or where you went to college or which team you root for. You know, it and and so I, I would take them. Um, I learned not to take them to the cost of discipleship immediately because three of them are in the 14th chapter of Luke. Hmm. But they, but they're they're so hard that it makes most guys blood run cold. You know, you got to hate your mother and father. You got to hit, you know, um, you got to sell everything or give up everything, renounce everything. It's so intense that I usually left those three till the end. Yeah. Um, but, but Jesus says, you will abide in my word. And so unpacking, what does it mean to abide in the word of Jesus? That's, that's in John chapter eight, verse 31 and 32, I think. And, and, and we might stay on, what does that mean for the next half a dozen times we get together. I, I, it, it could be. We, we don't leave that because that's first. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple, hmm. and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So when I'm, when I'm doing that kind of work with believers, I'm discovering that almost never are unbelievers introduced to that when they make that initial transition to being a follower of Jesus. Um, and that's why when Robert started talking, flashbulbs, that's an old word, light was just exploding in my head because I was like, if the two table leaders understand discipling at the end of the better man curriculum, they have six men that will look to them to know what it means to follow Jesus. Yeah. And they can, if they are discipled themselves, they can begin to disciple those brothers, those new brothers. And now that means they'll learn that as a lifestyle. And you get the repl the replication that you talked about. Yeah, over, over multiple generations. But what 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 doesn't happen very often is even to get to the third generation. So you know, you grow up like I did. Grandma and grandpa were true believers, but the culture didn't talk about it. The, the church culture I grew up in thought if you just come to church and if you just go to Sunday school and if you get in the youth group, uh, you know, and you get confirmed, um, you'll follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, that worked for grandma and grandpa and it barely worked for me. But by the time of my younger brothers and sisters, it didn't work. Yeah. I'm the oldest of 17 cousins and three of us follow Jesus and we were all raised the same. Yeah. We went to the same, we were all in the same environment, but between me and everybody that started being after me, America was in a, in a tip that we didn't see at the time. Yeah. So in your time of working with those who are really understanding what it means to follow Jesus, what surprises them? Do you see any patterns there? I think what surprises guys, 
You know, I the way I see it, better man, the better man curriculum is very soft. It's a very soft outreach. Mm-hmm. Of, if, it, it, the, the element of, of, of any kind of hardcore evangelical come to Jesus is, is, is handled very gently. And I think, I think that's culturally very wise. Um, but, but what I think surprises the average unbeliever is to discover that true believers are not that different from them. Hmm. That they that they've struggled and struggle. They have struggled and still do struggle with some of the same issues. They got some of the same wounds. Um, they got some of the same fears and anxieties. And so I think I think there's this thing in a lot of the younger unbelievers that I've had. I haven't had thousands, but in the in the in the in the ones I know and and have known, there's this perception in them that Christians think they're better. Yep. And so when they make a real friendship that doesn't seem it's someone after them, it's not someone trying to get their scalp or um, manipulate them. When, when they make a real friendship with someone who seems to genuinely love God and them, they, they really, they really care about one, them. They're not, they're not, they're not different than any other friend in that, in that regard. And that they see there's something different in this guy. And I'm starting to think it has something to do with his love for God. Um, and, and, and there's kind of, there's, there sort of seems to be a dawning, uh, a kind of, a kind of inner ascent. It's not always spoken. Like maybe this isn't all a bunch of hooey. You know, maybe there's something here. Maybe there's some of what I really am starting to admire in this guy that's in that guy because of his love for God. Yeah, and it's not—you get to see that somebody, it's not just what they think, it's what they believe, right? That when you are around somebody long enough and you really understand their actions are matching up with their words or you're seeing patterns, uh, because anybody can tell you what they believe, but it's when you spend time with people, you, you, or anybody can tell you what they think, I'm sorry, but it's when you spend time with them when you really realize what they believe. And when you see the authentic believers that really are believing and trying to follow Jesus, it is. It's a head-scratcher. It's my story as a 21-year-old. Uh, somebody shared the gospel with me my freshman year, and you know they, they told me what they thought about Jesus, but then I watched them for two years, and then I got to see what they believed about Jesus. And it's exactly what you just said. There was there were similarities, but it was different, and the differences were all due to Jesus. And so when I hit my proverbial rock bottom at 21 years old, and I go to this gentleman, and I just go, I don't, I, I need what you've got, and you say it's Jesus. Let's go, right? And I'll, I'll I want to follow Jesus the way you do because my life is not anything uh, like yours right now. And so. Uh, you can't just do that over a cup of coffee. I mean, that takes some time, right? I don't think so. You start. You can start with a cup of coffee, but you don't. You know what has to happen is an unbeliever has to have someone in their life that actually seems to care about them. Hmm. Just in a in a in a way, I, we I try to describe it as welcome. Do you have room in your life to welcome a? a person who doesn't know God and, and care for them and be, become a friend to them. That's so good. And not like, 
I'm, I'm doing this because the pastor says I've got to save somebody. That's, Jesus never said that. <laughs> no. <laughs> he, he saves. You don't save. But if the reason I think people loved him is he was so kind to people. He, he, he cared about them. He seemed to be genuine. Yeah. And that, that's my story, too. Now, for me, it was seeing the gap between the way I'd been raised and the way I was living. I, I, I knew, I knew, I didn't want to face it, but I knew I was making all kinds of bad choices. Yeah. And I was being swept along by peers in directions that I knew were wrong. And, um, you know, that brought me in steps, you know, first I tried to be a man that would follow the law. You know, I know the right and wrong. I'm going to be a right man, not a wrong man. You know, of course, trying to, to live by the law never works. No, it doesn't. And, and eventually I had to really recognize that no matter how much background I had in the Christian community and no matter how long I'd studied and no matter what was said about me on the outside, if Jesus didn't change my insides, I, I couldn't follow it. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't do what I was beginning to really think he was asking. Yeah. No, that's good. <laughs> and so, you know, that brought me to my knees. But let me ask you this one last question. Cause we're almost out of time. So let's um, I think we, there's so much rich content and stuff that we've said here uh, during our time. I think you gave some really great takeaways to somebody who is following Jesus. Just that reminder uh, to be like Jesus, to be kind and to show people attention and that you care and just how influential that can be. I, I, I love that. And I think that's a really great takeaway for a lot of our listeners. Let's, let's talk to one other aspect of, of, the, of our listeners that I'm sure is out there. And that is this, that they've grown up around the church. Uh, they're familiar with some of the language, but they're maybe listening to you talk about what does it really mean to follow Jesus? And, and they don't know if they're there. They don't know if they're really following him. They can articulate the gospel but they don't know if they're following him. What, what would you encourage that man to do right now? I, I would encourage that man um, to find something, to, to ask Jesus to lead him to a relationship with a man that understands what it means. That's good. Um, um, and um, I've, been, I've been trying to teach this little congregation here, ask, seek, knock. And, um, and I've, I've actually used it to say, look, if you've begun to believe that there's a gap between your faith and what it means to be a real follower of Jesus, you need someone who understands that to walk with you. So ask God to bring that person into your life and then be attentive, uh, seek, look, pay attention. Um, who do you, who do you run into or who starts a conversation that sort of illumin and that you just go, maybe this is the guy. Yeah. And then you've got to be willing to not, you know, you got to be, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Hey, I'm really looking for a friend that knows a little more about following Jesus than me. Would you be willing to meet regularly to talk about that? Could we have a coffee? once a week and talk or do you know something that means i have to knock i have to try to and what i've told my people and i'll tell anybody listening is this i've prayed a lot of prayers in my long journey with the lord and i've waited sometimes years for the answer i wanted <laughs> does that make sense <laughs> yeah, makes i've had sense. a lot of answers i didn't want yeah but but sometimes i've thought this is not wrong to keep praying it but my experience is this 
if you want to be a better follower of Jesus and you ask him to bring someone into your life to help you do that, those prayers get answered quickly. Wow. So I'd use the ask, seek, knock thing. Once you pray it seriously, don't stop praying it seriously. Pay attention to who comes across your path. Maybe it's someone you already know. Maybe it's someone you'll meet this afternoon. You don't know. But when you think you might have met the person, you got to ask. You got to knock on their door and say, look, this is what I've been praying. And you'll find them. And they may be quiet men that don't know how to reach out to you, but are around you already in, in the life of where you are. It may be someone that you work with. It may be a colleague, a peer. It's rarely someone younger than you. Mm. It can be, but it's that's pretty rare. But it's always going to be someone you would like to be with. Mm. You are not going to be well discipled by someone you don't want to be with. And so I, I call that affinity. But you can have affinity with someone you just met. Like I met Adam once, I would be happy always to talk to Adam yes. for the rest of my life. I, I just had that experience. Now, I think that's the spirit of God, but sometimes that happens and that could be a sign. You know, you meet someone who's a believer and you have that, man, I'd really like to know him better. Maybe he's one of the guys you ought to ask. That's and good. I don't think you'll ask that question very many times before the Lord will bring the connection. Um, that's the right one. I sometimes it's two or three guys that meet. Sometimes it's one and one. Um, some men are afraid of a one-on-one until they really know another guy. Make it a two or three on one. That you can you can do that. But you need a brother who has walked with Jesus a little farther than you. He doesn't have to be very many steps farther than you, but who who understands what you're asking. And and will be just a friend on that journey. He's going to be a brother forever <laughs> once it starts. That's right. It's an etern- it, You won't meet forever, but something will happen that will change that. That friendship will be an eternal friendship. You might be apart for five years and see one another. And you'll be instantly um, where you were before. But it, it'll be in God's hands. And so that's why you have to ask. Yes. Ask God to do it. I love it. That's such a clear answer. It's such a great answer. Thank you so much, John, for that. Uh, this oh, has been a fascinating you, conversation. I, I, I hope I haven't talked too much today. Oh, no, it's been great. It's been great. I've loved it. So thanks for jumping on the podcast with us today. Delighted. Once again, we want to thank John for joining us on the podcast today. If you guys want to learn more about John, you can go visit his website. That's johnshuler.com. J-O-N-S-H-U-L-E-R.com. If you'd like to learn more about how you can bring the Better Man 11-week experience to your church or your community, please visit betterman.com. Today's episode was mixed and edited by the amazing team over at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. That's all we've got for today. Thank you again for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.